What's up, Sober Family? Welcome to Season 4 of I Kissed Alcohol Goodbye, the podcast for newly sober people who are learning to love ourselves instead of booze. And then it just went black. It was quiet. And for half a second, I was just like, shit, did you die? And then I felt this pain in my chest. And it was from breathing in all the smoke. And the whole time in the hospital, it was just sitting in regret, questioning how good of a worker I was. You know, I was getting questions from safety groups. That's kind of where I was like, man, you can't hide this. First of all, your face cannot hide it. Mm. I mean, I look in the mirror and there's discoloration. There's no hiding it. And then I was thinking like, you've hidden so much before. You hide your emotions, you hide your problems, you hide your fears. That night I was like, your ego almost got you killed. Not listening to your conscience and thinking that you know better than what your voice is telling you. It almost killed you. Today, my guest is Daniel Spencer. He's a husband of 18 years and a father of two from Southern California who struggled for years with addiction before turning his life around 12 years ago. He's also an electrical line worker for the city of Los Angeles who was severely injured in an accident on the job, and this changed his perspective on life. And we'll get to his story in just a minute. I'm your host, Dana Crawl. I'm a former Army chaplain who developed a toxic relationship with alcohol after leaving the military. I stayed on a roller coaster of rock bottoms, recoveries, and relapses until finally, in the winter of 2022, I found my way out of the cycle by connecting with people like you. After kissing alcohol goodbye, my goal is to never go back, but I can't do it alone, so let's break up with booze together. With me in the studio, as always, are Al K. Hallfree, my spirit animal for sobriety, and Spruce, my PTSD service dog, who is uh, taking a pro nap like he always does. Before we get rolling, I just want to quickly say that if you're new to sobriety and looking for a group of people to be your sober community, please come join the I Kissed Alcohol Goodbye Sober Family Facebook group. The link is in the show notes, or you can search Facebook groups for I Kissed Alcohol Goodbye. And now let's get rolling with Daniel. Just want to thank you for being on the show. Like, thanks for reaching out to me. So go for it. Like, you know, tell me, tell me all your backstory and everything. Yeah. So um, my mom and dad, they, they met young. They married uh, right away. They eloped. My mom was pregnant with my brother, and um, I was born two years after him. And we just grew up like a normal family. You know, mom would stay at home. My dad would go work. He was blue collar manager at a um, at a hydraulic shop. You know, come home and work hard, and uh, everything seemed normal. And then one day, uh, the summer when I was twelve years old, they just kind of hit us with, "Hey, you know, we're getting divorced." It was out of nowhere. There was no, yeah, there was there was no. Uh, no mom and dad are arguing again. No dad's got a drinking problem or nothing like that. You know, it's just boom, here it is. Um, so my dad left, he moved out. My mom started working two jobs and the house was empty. Um, so I think it was just part of being so hurt, seeking attention. My brother kind of gravitated towards solace with his friends. And, and for me, that's how I, I feel like it kind of just left me kind of alone, you know? So I was looking for for things that were making me happy, you know, in the wrong way. I'm acting out in class in school. I kind of got kicked out of regular school. I found out, you know, some found some people that, you know, were getting high. So I started smoking a lot of weed with them. And then my dad got a job with the state and uh, we ended up moving down here. We ended up moving in with my dad, me and my brother down here to Southern California. And uh, he started working nights. Actually, he worked graveyard pretty much his whole career. But when we moved in next door, the next door neighbor, uh, gravitated towards him you know he was really, really cool we clicked come find out you know he used to sell weed and so when dad would go to work I'd go over there and hang out get high and but I wasn't as bored like I didn't have the audience that I had up there so when I came to when we moved down here I was just focused on school and I started getting better grades my grades turned around um, got into high school and started playing football but the whole time still 
constantly getting high almost nightly with the neighbor kids, you know. And once football started, my brother was two years older than me. He got into football. And after the football games every Friday night, I was like, hey, where's the party? You know, we'd find the party, go and drink. And that turned into kind of like a regular weekend thing. Um, my dad worked nights, so then we'd party at the house, you know, for a couple of hours before it was time to go to bed, get up and go to school. And then right around my junior year, I quit football. I was going to focus on working. That didn't happen. You know, I just kind of partied and hung out a little bit more. And then once my dad, I once I graduated high school, my dad remarried and uh, he would say, hey, I'm going to move back up north. You can go with me or you can stay down here, find a place to live. And I was already set with my friends and kind of my way of life. I wasn't going to leave. So I ended up moving, me and my brother ended up moving in with my grandmother for a while. And during that time, uh, I was still getting, I was getting high even more. I was started working. So I had extra money in my pocket. I was buying weed all the time. And then I figured, uh, why spend your money on all the weed when you can just sell it and be the guy and smoke for free, you know, whatever. So that ended up happening. I, I almost went to jail for it. Um, there was one night went wrong. We were living with my grandmother. I didn't want to have any drugs in her house. So I used to just have it all in my backpack and my, in the trunk of my car. And uh, this one night we had gotten into some trouble and I had a like a pound of weed in my backpack scaled up. And um, that was probably one of the scariest nights of my life. I was sitting in the back of the cop car and these two cops were deciding my fate. You know, there was one veteran and, and a rookie and the rookie said, we're going to take him to jail. We're going to get him from transporting and then to sell. And he's going to go to prison. And and the vet cop was like, well, I mean, it's his first offense. He was trying to tell us the truth. You know, we're going to give this kid a break. Um, so they gave me a ticket. I went home that night, two years probation. But I didn't learn my lesson. You know, uh, mm-hmm. called my guy back up. I, you know, I need a re-up. And um, my dad ended up finding out. And he said, you need to, you can't stay with, with my mom anymore. Um, so we, me and my brother got our apartment. And he turned 21. I was 19 and it was just party, you know, um, drinking nightly, getting high. Uh, if there wasn't a party we were going to go to, then the party was at our place. And that continued for about two years. We lived there t- together for about two years and we had a lot of memories, um, a lot of good times, a lot of bad times. Looking back at it, a lot of regret, you know, a lot of regret in the actions, the way I handled my emotions and stuff. You know, I just dove into the, into the negative vices and, uh, one day, 20 years ago, 20 years ago today, I met my wife, you know, um, I had been working at this warehouse for about a year and, uh, and we kind of had talked a couple of times before, but I had a girlfriend at the time and I was just kind of oblivious to, to her signals, you know, my wife, Lisa, that she was, uh, she was interested in me, you know? And uh, so one day, 20 years ago, they were having like a birthday month. Every day they would have a birthday month where they celebrate people's birthdays. And I go, hey, let me have a birthday hug. I'll give you a birthday hug. And ever since then, it was like uh, I didn't want to leave her side. Um, And soon after that, you know, she got pregnant. We got married. And I got a job with the city of L.A. Um, I've been there for it's going to be 20 years in December. And when I got hired for that position... I, they were going to give me a commercial license, random drug tests. So at this point, up to that point, I was still selling weed and I, I kind of let her know, Hey, this is my position. This is what I do. And she wasn't happy with it. And I said, okay, well that's, you know, I, 
I'm going to be making good money now. I don't need to like supplement my income with it, you know, and I'm going to be getting drug tested. So it's just kind of out of my life now, but that's when the drinking turned up, you know, um, I didn't have this other vice and my drinking just intensified, um, being a young family with all this responsibilities now, um, I wasn't sure how to handle it. Right. And definitely didn't know how to speak up on my emotions, you know, how to open up. And that was just something that was, has been in with me since a kid, you know, um, when my parents told us they were getting divorced, I was just kind of, I didn't cry. I, I didn't ask questions. I just kind of froze, you know, I froze. And, and then when me and my wife would have arguments or something, you know, which was, was mostly just things that I was doing wrong, right. Things that I was lacking in our relationship or being a father or being at home enough. I just, I would just freeze, you know, I wouldn't, mm. we wouldn't communicate again. My communication has been lacking probably my whole life. So that caused even more problems and led to more drinking. And once I became an apprentice, that was just more pressure added on, you know, drinking even more. When I had that first accident, I was scared. I was scared to go back to work, but I didn't know anything else. You know, I went from slapping boxes in a warehouse to, you know, this dangerous trade that I'm in now. I didn't have nothing to fall back on. I didn't, I didn't have, I didn't go to college for anything. I didn't have any degrees in anything. This was all I knew. And it was, it was kind of the culture, you know, in, in the line trade, you know, you, you get up, you, you do what you got to do. You work hard and, you know, go have some drinks or whatever. And, and that's what I did. You know, I, I leave from, from the yard. I go straight to the liquor store before I got in the freeway. I would buy a 20 ounce Coke, a half pint of a half pint of rum and two tall boys. And I had a long commute and I'd, I'd finish all that before I got home. Um, before I get home, I'd, I'd buy two more tall boys. And by the time I got home, I was half a pint and four beers of malt liquor. And, you know, and I'd, I'd be at home drunk, have a couple more drinks, eating like crap. You know, I'd wake up with the hangover, buy, buy some nasty food to try and, you know, the hair of the dog at night when I'd be at home, I'd be drunk and be like, Oh, I'm going to go get something to eat. You know, I'd go to Jack in the box or something like that. Some tacos or burritos. And, uh, the weight just ballooned, you know, I was, uh, at my heaviest, I was about 290 pounds, almost 300 pounds. And then uh, Super Bowl Sunday, Super Bowl 45 is, um, is when I had that awakening. It's when it just all slapped me in the face. Uh, I was at a Super Bowl party. I had my kids with me. <clears throat> my wife stayed at home. And uh, instead of calling her and saying, hey, come pick me up, come pick us up, and we'll get the car tomorrow, um, I strapped the kids in the car, and I drove home. I drove, uh, I was about, I don't know, 15, 20 miles on the freeway, Super Bowl Sunday, you know, heavy police saturation. I drove home uh, with my kids, and... Uh, I got home and I was like, oh, well, you know, have some more drinks. You don't have work tomorrow. So I'm sitting there having a drink outside and, and it just, it just hit me like a ton of bricks, man. You know, I said, what the hell are you doing? You know, you drink and drive every day and, and you just had your kids with you. Your most, your most precious, you know, gift in life. And, and you just put it all on the line, you know? Um, the worst thing was like in a wreck and somebody gets gravely injured. I, I mean, at the very least, you know, I'll get a DUI and, and wear this 
keep a shame. I'll probably lose my license, lose my job. That's what I was thinking. If you lose your license, you're going to lose your job. You know, my wife wasn't working and, and you're the sole income provider. So I needed help. And I, I, instead of going inside and talking to my best friend who's been telling me for years, Daniel, you're drinking too much. Daniel, you need to lose weight. Daniel, you, you know, you wake up in the middle of the night, not breathing. You, you wake up constant heartburn and vomiting. Um, I called my dad and he didn't answer the phone. I called my brother. He didn't answer the phone. And, uh, I was like, I'm going to use one more lifeline, man. And if, and if this doesn't, if this doesn't go through, uh, I'm scared that I'm just going to continue these same activities the next day and for the rest of my life. So I called my uncle and he answered the phone. I, it was probably 10, 30, 11 at night. I woke him up and I was just opening my heart to him, man. This is, I have this pain in me and, and I, I'm using the bottle. I'm using alcohol to try and soothe it. And it's just killing me. And he's the one that talked to me into going to, well, I mean, he just, he was just like, well, who's your healthcare provider? I said, Kaiser. He said, Kaiser's got, they have treatment programs, you know, um, call them tomorrow, check yourself in. So I called Kaiser the next day and they wanted to, they wanted me to do a um, inpatient 30 day program. And I said, I can't miss work. You know, I, I have to provide for my family. I have to show up every day. If I miss so many hours of work, they could drop me back to class or possibly kick me off the apprenticeship. So um, they said, well, we have another option. It's, you know, it's probably not going to be as successful. Um, it's just evening classes. I think it was 90 minutes or two hours, two or three days a week. Um, and I go, well, that's, that's better than nothing. You know? So, yeah. so I would go Tuesdays and Thursdays um, from, I believe it was like 630 to eight. 8 p.m. and um it wasn't it wasn't just alcohol it was substance abuse you know it was just everything and um and I think I was going for about three or four months steadily two three days a week um but hearing the stories of some of these other people you know that were you know opiate addicts heroin meth meth was was pretty big back then I mean it's not like everybody you know is dying off fentanyl now but back then it was it was a lot of meth and i had friends that that fell off on that stuff you know and i had a lot of guilt from that because i had friends that i was the first one to get them high you know i was the first one to smoke them out and then they they found other drugs and they fell way off and and hearing the stories of all these other addicts in there i had like another realization like daniel you're you have a great job you know you have a beautiful young family and you just, I told myself, really, you're acting like a, like a real bitch. You know, you have a wife that's, that's begging you to become better and willing to be open and honest with you. And you just can't open up and you think that this is the answer. And, um, I, I just kept telling myself that every time, um, even the, the first time I went with my first meeting for the counselor and he goes, so you just tell yourself, no, thanks. Right. Like, no, just say no to yourself. That auto suggestion yourself. That was just just say no. And I was like, oh yeah, that's really easy. But every time I would have the thought, you know, I would just tell myself, it's not an option. Um, every time I'd go around family, I'd have to mentally prepare myself before we even got there. You know, I know they're going to be drinking, and it's not an option for you. And once I was offered a drink, I would say no, thanks. And they're kind of like weird about it, you know, and no, okay. And 
10, 15 minutes later, hey, we're making more drinks. You want one? No, thanks. And then after about the third or fourth time, I was like, look, um, actually, my dad was the first one I told. I go, look, I'm I'm in a recovery program right now, you know, and uh, it's hard enough for me to be here, but I'm here. You know, I want to be with you guys. I'm sober and I'm trying to work on sobriety. I had tried once before, um, before I got into the apprenticeship program and I was sober for about uh, 45 days. Um, but I broke that sobriety um, based off peer pressure and um, not really peer pressure, but kind of, so it was kind of like a tradition when, if you promote, you know, you, you go out and you buy, you know, after hours, you go to a bar or whatever, you buy food, buy drinks. And, and I broke my sobriety then. And, um, and that's kind of another part where it leveled up, you know, my drinking. So everybody was kind of aware of now, you know, he, my dad was even like, I didn't even know you had a problem. I didn't know it was that bad, but yeah, it, it was pretty bad. You know, on my days off, I'd, Hey babe, I'm like, I gotta go run errands or go to Home Depot or pick up car parts or stuff like that. And the first place I would go to was a liquor store. You know, I'd go to the store, buy a couple of tall boys, go buy whatever parts or things I needed for the house or whatever I was doing, and uh, come back and work on it and work on some more beers. And you know, it was a daily habit. It was a daily, it was a daily crutch. And that was till yeah. I'm trying to do the math. Like until when was the the awakening that you talked about? February 2011. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I was that was just at the end of my apprenticeship. Start going to uh, fifth session, my last session of my apprenticeship, sober, um, like my second week of sobriety, hating it, knowing that like right when I leave, there's a liquor store right there. You know, there's a liquor store that everybody always goes to, mm. and I pass it. You know, I. I drive by and I pass it like, dude, you can't do it. You can't do it. So after I quit drinking, I changed my diet. Uh, I would start, I started taking my uh, special K, like it was like, oh, a special K diet, you know, eat special K cereal. And um, so I was doing that because it was just easy. It was cheap. Um, I did that for a while. And I lost 60 pounds. I wasn't, I didn't join the gym or anything. But then when I would get home, I'd be so hungry. I would just yeah. eat and eat and eat, you know. Uh, but it was, uh, I lost weight. I lost weight. And then I got, kind of got into the habit of taking my food for lunch, uh, taking leftovers from dinner stuff. And I gained 20 pounds back. So I was about uh, 255, 260 pounds. And I mean, life at home was better, you know. Being sober definitely helps. But still not, I wasn't opening up emotionally you know um i guess that's just that's even still now to this day that's one of my biggest things i'm trying to work on and a few years ago four years ago we were going to have uh for our 15 wedding anniversary we were going to have a huge party we we're going to have like a like a wedding because when me and my wife first got married we just eloped you know there was we got married at the county building and nobody was there so we had uh, always planned on having a big wedding uh, so she was like, well, if we're going to do it, I mean, because all my habits of eating unhealthy and, you know, bringing junk food to the house was, you know, everybody's there, everybody's going to eat it. So my wife was getting weight and my, you know, my kids were, my daughter has always been kind of thin, but my son, he didn't handle the food too good either. Um, so she says, hey, if we're going to do this wedding, um, I want to look good in a dress. You know, I want to lose weight and look better. At the time, my one of my best friends 
was it he had joined this transformation camp and he lost like over 100 pounds you know um amazed i was amazed he was a huge inspiration for for where i ended up going to the gym so we go to the gym and uh i lost about 70 pounds there altogether i went from about 260 to 190 and learned a bunch of workout routines learned about meal prepping portion control and that helped out a lot but i just I didn't stop, you know, that was my new addiction, the gym and that became my new addiction. And that just kept continued and continued. I made it a part of my daily thing. I would get up at 3.15 in the morning to make the 4 a.m. gym class, work out for 45 minutes and then go straight to work, you know. Um, so getting up early, I've been getting up early for a few years now, quite a few years. Uh, that's what yeah it's this we're recording this on a sunday and you're like yeah i'll be up at 5 a.m so anytime after that i'm like oh my god like and meanwhile i i snoozed until like almost 10 a.m eastern i'm like oh i'm I'm inspired by you because i'm trying to get back to i'm i'm at like 200 pounds which is the most i've ever weighed which is not like an unhealthy weight for a guy who's 5'11 but i just don't feel i don't feel good i like i've always naturally been like that all the years i spent in the army i was like 170 175 and that's just where i feel better right yeah. and so i'm just trying to uh but things like portion control and just the discipline of just going to the just go to the friggin' gym right yeah. and so that's why i'm so inspired by your by so much of your story but uh um, you. yeah but you got so you've been getting up early for all these years and and been able to keep it off and then also inspiring other people too, right? Yeah, I coach. I coach people online. It's all app based. Um, a couple of apps that we use to track our foods and that they use for workouts. They're easy to follow. So yeah, uh, two years ago, after my accident, I had been following. Well, since COVID, since 2020, I've been following. Uh, been following somebody online on YouTube and Instagram. Uh, real inspirational. Uh, they have a coaching program that that they have. Um, they coach people. He coaches business. Co- he does business coaching. So after my accident, um, I had just started another weight loss challenge, body fat weight, uh, body fat loss challenge. Um, and the whole time I had kind of hovering between 190, 200 pounds, uh, like at 187, I was, I mean, I, I felt way better, but I just looked skinny. Like I was skinny. People were asking me if I was sick that like, how'd you lose all this weight so quick? Your face is sunken in. Are you sick? Are you okay? And you know, I, this is the best I've ever felt in my life. Yeah. Um, so I'm lifting weights and eating all this protein and getting all, getting a, a lot of muscle. It's not lean muscle, but you know, I, I know I'm getting a lot stronger. And uh, so after my accident, um, as soon as I could, I started, uh, I got back in the gym, you know, I'm right here in my garage. Uh, I, I used that as my therapy because I'd have nightmares and you know, I had nightmares. I'd wake up and try, I, I was open more to, to talking about it with my wife a whole lot more. Um, that, that was a whole nother like spiritual awakening was that accident. Um, you know, I tell a lot of people, you know, I, I lost a lot of my ego, you know, my, I burned my ego that night, you know, a, lot, a part of me died that night. Um, my fears. And will you tell me some about the accident? So like we were talking before and you told the story and I hadn't hit record yet. Would you tell some, you don't have to tell the whole thing over unless you want to. Um, but just, sure. I, I know the audience will like really benefit from hearing about, you know, especially the most recent one, but you know, I know you had a couple of them. 
Yeah. So, uh, so it was a switching error. Um, so it's a four, four way switch upper left, upper right, lower left, lower right. Um, and in each one of those positions, there's three phases, right? In the power lines, there's A phase, B phase, C phase. And if those go together, they match, electricity flows fine. And if they go opposite, you know, it, they fight and they blow up. So um, we were going to de-energize one of the positions and there was a not, not enough room in the vault for two ladders that we had set up down there. So I told my partner, I said, I'll work the lower left position while you work the upper right, the one we were going to de-energize. There was no communication. Um, we weren't communicating the way we're supposed to. We weren't following the procedures that are written in the book. Um, so I was standing on the ground um, on a rubber blanket, which insulated insulates us from ground potential. I had my PPE on. I had a sweater underneath, coveralls, safety glasses, rubber gloves, and a face shield with a hard hat. Um, and right before we were getting ready to operate and go on live voltage, my conscience told me to call for your toolbox. You can stand on your toolbox and you can be at the same position as your partner, um, the way you're trained, the way that's written in the procedure, the way that you know is right. But I didn't, I defied my conscience. I, I, I told that inner voice, shut up. You know, I've done this before. We're not going to be here that long. Um, no communication between my partner and I, we operated the first, first phase. He handed me the tools and material to put away. And during that time, he moved his cover to the next phase. And we didn't, he didn't communicate that with me. I just watched him and I figured, okay, yeah, he's ready. I got to get ready. So I grabbed my lead. I put it back on the same position that we had worked previously, which is now opposite phases. Um, I told him to close the switch in and it, the switch blew up in my face. It was a, uh, and the worst part about it was that the circuit breaker for the work circuit we were working on failed. It failed immediately. So instead of shutting off in a fraction of a second, it, it took two full seconds and uh, 4,500 amps of fault current to finally trip the high side circuit breaker. Um, wow. Hot enough to melt porcelain, um, vaporized copper. And uh, the whole time, those for those two seconds, time slowed down so much. You know, I was thinking, why aren't you down in the corner? Why didn't you drop down in the corner? Why is this taking so long to shut off? And then finally I was thinking, man, if this thing doesn't shut off, you're just going to die. And then, uh, and then it shut off, you know? And then I remember thinking this is so bright. I had my eyes were closed and it was like the brightest white I had ever seen or seen through my eyelids. Um, and I remember thinking this is so bright and so loud. And then it just went black. It went black. It was quiet. And, for half a second, I was just like, shit, did you die? And then I felt this pain in my chest and it was from from breathing in all the smoke and, and stuff. Um, so I lift my face shield and take off my safety glasses so now I can see. Um, and I, this time I noticed all of my coveralls right here were on fire. Um, so I took, patted the fire out and I called for the ladder, climbed out. I had a third degree burns on my face. I was in the hospital for 10 days. Uh, two skin graft surgeries. Um, I was off of work for, for five months. And the whole time after, you know, in the hospital, it was just sitting in regret, you know, questioning how good of a worker I was, questioning what, are you going to go back to doing this? Um, Self-doubt, regret. But I shared the story on my Instagram page and um, it 
couple of other Instagram pages in the industry reshared it. They reposted it. And I was getting all these messages, man. It was, you know, I hope you feel better. You know, so glad you're still alive. Um, and questions, you know, what was the voltage you were working on? What type of switch? What kind of PPE were you wearing? What was the circuit breakers rated for? And that's kind of when I was just thinking like, um, you know, this is all going to not be for nothing. You know, you're going to use this to help people. Um, I, I would talk about it a lot. I was answering every single DM that I had. I, I was responding to it. People were saying, hey, man, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Um, you know, this is definitely going to change the way I do my work. This is I'm definitely going to add that extra layer of PPE. Um, and then once I got to I got back to work. Um, after five months, I went back to work and that was like another kick in the chest. Cause I was, I was so scared, Yeah, you know, I was scared to go back. I was like, I know I have to get back in the tools. I know I'm going to have to operate these switches again. I know I'm going to have to work with everybody. They're going to have to count on me. Right. And when I had the lead, I dropped the ball, you know, that was one of the biggest things. It was like, I was always trying to be the safest worker and, and you weren't. Um, they're going to have to count on you again. And are they going to trust you? Are you going to trust yourself? So I started going to therapy um, after about four months. I I, um, I called our employees assistance program and I started therapy. Um, and when I got back to work, they said, hey, we have the safety section. So we have the, um, the investigation finalized. You know, would you want to go and present with us at the district that you were working at? And I said, well, how many do you have? You know, and I go, we have a lot. We're going to all the sections in the power system. And I said, uh, if that's okay with you, I'll go to every single one of them. So I did. I did. It was like a, it was wow. like a tour. And it sucked because I get back to work in October. And in November, um, one of the guys that I had kind of came through with, he was a, he started right after I did uh, for a while. He was my apprentice. And um now he just he had just promoted to the position that I was in, senior cable splicer. Um, hear emergency on the radio, and hey, we have primary contact, and they get back on the radio, and it's the guy on the radio is frantic. Well, ended up he ended up dying that day at work in a vault, and I was thinking like, man, like you just went through all of this, you know, and now we just lost a brother. So in the safety meetings. They had my accident investigation and Michael Lemester's accident investigation. Uh, and it was hard. It was the first one that I went to. It was, it was hard. They kind of gave me a heads up like, Hey, Mike's accident is going to be right after yours, man. Just, you know, so you know kind of how it's going to go and getting up there and talking about my accident, you know, how I felt my regrets. It, it kind of had like this weight lifted off my chest, mm. you know, um, day by day, the more meetings we would do and the more I would talk about it, it just felt easier and better and it was freeing. And then it was gratifying at the same time because after every single meeting, at least one or two people would come up and say, Hey man, I appreciate you having the bravery to get up here and tell your story, not, not shying away from it, right. Admitting it, it gave me a whole lot of strength to be able to tell my story, you know? So 
Well, I'm so honored that you reach out to me because this is perfect. Um, that I'm just starting my fourth season. So I decided just um, this week that the theme for this season is going to be owning our own stories. And and I think like what a perfect first episode to have for this season, because you've talked about how, you know, it, it was hard for you to, to really own that, but that you, you take that step to, to go be willing to tell your story to other people. So like, what was it that, that made the difference so that you stopped um, shunning the, maybe the shame and, and owning whatever good and bad there was so that you can share to help others. Yeah, definitely. Um, one of the nights, it was probably the second night I was in the hospital. I called one of the, one of the other guys that was there that night. Um, and I was just like, I kind of had this little moment of how is everybody else doing? You know, I called him and I go, Hey man, how's morale? Like, how is everybody at the yard? You know? And he said, everybody's kind of bummed out, man. Everybody's bummed out. You know, they're sad. They're glad you're still here. But he said, on the other hand, everybody's sense of safety is back up. You know, everybody's, everybody's sense of, what we're doing, what we do is heightened again. That was a huge part of it that night. And then also right after the accident, I started taking photos. Um, I climbed out of the vault. I sat on the bumper of the work truck. And when the ambulance had got there, I started taking photos. I took photos every step of the way. I took photos right after the accident. I took a photo when I was sitting in the ER I took a photo the moment they scraped all the dead skin off. I took photos as soon as I woke up from the first surgery, I took a photo. Um, I took a photo when they took the bandage, when they took the everything off. I took, I took a photo after the second surgery. I took photos every day after I, after I got home and the, they put pig intestine on my skin uh, when they sent me home and I would have to cut little chunks of it off as it would peel away naturally. And I would take a photo. I took a photo the first day I had my first workout, you know, after my accident and, um, looking back on those photos, I think what it was, was, you know, sometimes when we have incidences on the job site, nobody gets hurt and nobody talks about it. Mm. Right. Um, but this one, there was no shine away. There was no hiding this. So, and then, once I shared it on Instagram and people were sending me these messages, they were so supportive, first of all, and they wanted to know, they had so many questions, you know, I was getting questions from safety groups in Brazil and, you know, people in, in Europe that were, had, had these same antiquated switches. That's kind of where I was like, man, you, you can't hide this. First of all, you, your face cannot hide it. Mm. You know, your face can't hide it because the first time I got burned, it was on my leg and I can easily cover that up. Mm. But this one, you know, you wear it every day. I mean, I look in the mirror and there's discoloration on my face. Okay. Um, there's no hiding it. And then I was thinking like, you've hidden so much before, you know, you hide your emotions, you hide your problems, you hide your fears. And that, that night, like I said, that, after the whole process, but that night I was like, your ego almost got you killed, not listening to your conscience and thinking that you know better than what your voice is telling you. It almost killed you. Your partner got burned. These apprentices that were watching us learned a hard lesson. Everybody you tell your story to, it's going to affect them one way or another. Either they're going to call you an idiot 
which is fine. You know, I've called myself an idiot or you're going to help them, you know, at the very least, maybe they'll wear the right gloves or the right safety glasses. And if you can help them at least do that, even now to losing weight, gaining confidence, you know, I got clients that have quit drinking. I mean, I, I said to my wife, um, if I had a time clock, I wouldn't turn it back, mm. you know, because I wouldn't have changed. You know, if I would have just went home that night, you know, if everything would have went fine, nothing would have changed. You know, I wouldn't have this new confidence in myself. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have a story to tell on Instagram. I probably wouldn't be in this coaching program. You know, my clients would probably still have low confidence and low self-esteem or probably still be drinking a six pack a day. Yeah. Guys at work would still be in their same stubborn habits. Nothing would have changed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're telling this story. I'm glad you, and you know, when you reached out, you said, Hey, you know, maybe we can just, even if we just reach one person here. And so that's the, been my goal all along with this little show is, you know, I get wrapped up in, in numbers, like a lot of people do. And, you know, I'm like, man, yeah. I really want my podcast to grow. And I really want, you know, I, I want to have X number of downloads or whatever, but the reality is it doesn't, that that stuff doesn't matter. It's, it's whoever's yeah. going to hear this needs to hear it. And uh, we'll trust that it's going to impact them for good. And, you know, what would you, what would your key takeaway be from everything that we we've talked about? I mean, I feel like there's already so much gold here. I mean, like, but if you had one, one key takeaway for someone who's listening, what would it be? Don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on yourself. Whatever it is you want to change about yourself, you can absolutely do it. You know, there's resources out there. There's, there's podcasts, there's people that are going through it, you know, reach out to them, send them a message. If they're helping you in any way, share their story. You know, if you're not open to sharing yours, share theirs. Don't give up on yourself. Look up, look, seek the help. And then just listen to your conscience. You know, your conscience will guide you in the right direction every single, every single time. And that might be the title of the episode right there. The whole time I'm like, God, there's so many good things I could I could call this episode, but it might just be listen to your conscience. How can people get a hold of you, by the way, if they want to reach out and connect? Like, what's the best way to reach you? Instagram. Instagram is probably the best one. Reps and Double Time. Um, Daniel Spencer on Facebook. Okay. Daniel, I'm so honored. And thanks for taking the time to tell us your story. And, uh, you know, we'll look forward to getting this out to the masses, man. Yeah. I mean, if, if anybody has any questions, you know, how to create a positive mindset, you've been wanting to try and drop your negative vices or lose some weight, get on a nutrition plan, get on a workout plan, reach out. I can definitely help you out. Daniel, thanks, brother. Um, yeah. I'm so glad that you have chosen the path that you've chosen, you know, like all episode, podcast episode aside and everything. Like, just thank you for being willing to do that. Set an example for, you know, this middle-aged guys who tend to be very much like, let's, let's hide. Like I've got so many things that I'm yeah. embarrassed and ashamed of that I'm, I'm trying to work through. And that's where I think that came, that theme came from for me was like, oh, I need to own my own story and, and stop being ashamed of it and just let it be and, and, and tell it. And then hopefully, you know, help somebody else through it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely seeing, you know, the mental health is, it's top, it's top priority. It's one of the top priorities. You know, I, I get up every morning and before I even hit a workout, I read a book, I journal every single day. 
Okay. Well, brother, I hope you have a good rest of your Sunday. Thanks again for joining us on this episode of I Kiss Alcohol Goodbye. Until next time, Al, Spruce, Daniel, and I send you all of our sober love, and we say goodbye, alcohol, and hello, life. Much love to you all, and peace. 